Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. In Genesis chapter 2, we get a glimpse of what everything looks like without sin. It's incredible because we only get a glimpse of this just right here. Outside of this, we don't know. Our whole lives, we've been sinners, and so has everybody else, and the world's been broken by sin. We know, we believe, we who are Christians, that when Christ returns, uh, we won't, he'll make us new, we'll be made new, and the temptation to sin will no longer be there, and so we'll live in eternity with Christ without sin and without the temptation to sin. We have this to look forward to, but if you think about it, What's that even going to look like? What's it like to have a friendship without somebody doing the other person wrong at some point? Or more important, as we're looking at the creation of Adam and Eve in marriage, what's a marriage look like without sin at all ever? We have just a glimpse of what it was like before sin comes into the world. And it's this joyful glimpse of how God created everything and how he created it perfectly and blessed it and gave it just so. This passage is, for our purposes, a romantic comedy. Uh, This passage is only happy. In fact, it ends with a musical number, uh, with Adam singing out praises to how wonderful Eve is, this new bride of his, and how good God is in having blessed him and known what he needs. I like a good romantic comedy. I don't have any interest in watching any drama in my life. And uh, and now it feels like all new television shows come with the uh, descriptor that they're gritty. And like everything is gritty now. I don't need any of that. Uh, I'm not looking for any drama. I'm not looking for anything gritty. I just want to laugh a little bit and see some people get married in the end. That's what I need out of a story is if they could just have some fun, maybe miscommunicate a little bit along the way, but in the end they get together. That's fantastic. And you know, the best romantic comedy of all time, it's The Princess Bride. No question. Best one ever. And if you haven't watched that movie in 20 or 30 years, it still holds up. I recently showed it to the children and we had a great time watching it. It's still fantastic. And that's what we have here today as we go to read Scripture. God creating the first relationship, the first marriage, and it's perfect, and it's joyful, and it teaches us about who this God is, about what marriage is, about what it is to be a man and a woman, and it teaches us about all that God has for us by way of blessing. So we're going to start reading in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15, is where we'll pick up. Now, the Lord God took man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you eat of it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky, and he brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature was what its name was. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh up at that place. And then God made the rib he had taken out from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, that they may become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, and yet they felt no shame. The word of the Lord for us together today. No shame at all. What a glorious condition. I usually share this passage in wedding sermons. So if I officiated your wedding or you've seen me officiate a wedding, I like to talk about this because this is the story and the joy in marriage is that God creates it even before sin enters the world. And for just a few moments here, there is this perfect, joyful condition given as a blessing from God. Starting at the beginning there in verse 15, it says that the Lord took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And God has a purpose for him. He creates everything. He organizes it just so. And then he places the man in it on purpose to work it and to watch over it. If you happen to be one of those people who's just allergic to work, I've got bad news for you. Uh, It exists before the fall and will exist after uh, the restoration of all things. He's there on purpose, and the purpose is to work the land, to watch over it, to make it right. So we understand that while natural parks and nature preserves are wonderful and beautiful to see in places and to go and look at, that's simply a part of our watching over the land is to have a few natural places, but it's not right, all of creation, without us. We're supposed to be here. We're supposed to be working it. We're supposed to be watching over it. We're supposed to be in crop yields. These things that we do are a part of the work of being over and stewarding all creation like God created us for. God blesses the man by giving him purpose. Then God blesses the man by giving him a command. And he says, here's what you're going to do. Eat off of anything you see. The world is your buffet table, is what he says to him essentially. Uh, If you see it and it looks good, it's for you. Go for it. Except There's this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's not an apple tree. It doesn't produce apples. A papaya tree that produced papayas. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's different from anything else. And God gives a command and says, don't eat from that one tree because you will surely die. We get the very first command from God right here. But all other commands of God are just like this first one. And that the purpose of all of them is for our good. We're to understand when God commands something, it's not because he's a jerk. It's not because he's mean or he likes to lord it over us. The commands of God are blessings for us. He doesn't want them to die. He has given them life and all good things. The command of God is to bless them, and we receive all commands of God as blessings. God gives us all good things. It's not that God gives us good and good and good and then something bad from him and then good. No. All things that come from God are good for us and blessings. And so he blesses them with a command. By the way, not that one because it will be bad for you. You will surely die. 
And this is where sin comes from, their breaking of the command of God, uh, refusing the blessing and to believe what God says. Well, next, God, who has created everything, as we looked at in the last chapter, created everything in these days of creation. He says, as he creates, on this day, he creates, and he says, it's good. On the next day, he creates, and he says, it's good. And everything that he creates is good until he gets to this spot. And what's happening in chapter 2 is sort of zooming in on the sixth day of creation here. You've got all creation as it's described in chapter 1, and then here in chapter 2, a little bit closer and clearer understanding for how God made us together. You zoom in here and you see on this sixth day, God is the one who says, it is not good. He says, it's good, it's good. Everything he creates, it's good, it's good. And then all of a sudden, it is not good that man should be alone. So God sets out to remedy a problem that the man doesn't seem to understand himself yet. This is who our God is. He knows what we need before we know what we need. And he still acts just this way to see our lives and to say it is not good and then to bring into our lives what we need. And the next thing that happens is he sort of takes this man to show him what he needs. Adam is sent on this task. All animals, creatures, all things are brought before him to examine them. And so he examines these things. And in examining these things, he names all of them. But a part of this whole examining everything is to recognize that there's not a corresponding partner for him. There's not a suitable partner. He looks over all creation and he sees how the fish, they tend to swim with fishes who are like them. And the birds of the air go with the kinds of birds of the air who are like them. And the land critters go with the kinds of land critters that go with each other. But there's not another one of Adam. There's not another human. And he realizes this is not good. So God causes a deep sleep to come over him, and God makes this corresponding partner out of the same stuff that the man is made out of. Uh, The rib, not as important a part as you understanding that where she comes from is the same kind of stuff, that they're made from the same sort of thing, that they're the same in this way. These two, unique amongst all creation, are made in the image of God. These were equal in this image, and as we looked at two weeks ago, that means To be born a woman is a gift from God and a blessing. To be born a man is likewise a gift from God and a blessing. And he did not make mistakes in this way, but created you rightly and intentionally. And thanks be to God that he has done so. And so what is marriage here? Well, it is first of all, a blessing from God. It is the saying that it is not good to have been alone, and so God remedies what was wrong and gives them better than they could have thought of for themselves. I like to joke about this, maybe not the best time at a wedding, but when I'm talking about this passage, say God creates the perfect correspondent, the perfect partner for man, and what is the perfect partner for a man? A good hunting dog? You know, some some seem to think this, all I need is just a good good hound, uh, you know, something that I can go walking through the woods and we just go walk through Hitchcock woods together, me and, my, me and my mutt. No. What's the perfect companion for a man? Just a bro so you can get a bachelor pad together and play video games all the time? No. He makes the perfect companion for a man and it's a woman. And they realize this together that God has done this just right. And who are we anyway? What are we from this passage? 
Well, God created us, man and woman, created us rightly from the same stuff in the same image, but we are different. You don't have to go on very far in life before you discover this. We're not the same, you know. Uh, have, you, have you figured this one out? Uh, children figure this out early on, that we're not the same. We're not made the same way. We don't think the same. And yet, in other ways, we are the same. This is one of those ways in which we bear the image of God. We don't want to take the comparison too far, but perhaps a way to understand how we're the same and yet different comes even from the nature of who God is. That God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, one nature, three persons. And likewise, we are the same, but we are obviously not the same. And the comparison shouldn't be stretched too far, but simply to think in terms of godliness in that way, we're the same, we're equal, but we are different. Now, why even talking about this, is it a little delicate? Why is this sort of thing hard to talk about? You know, we start talking about the differences between men and women. We start talking about marriage. You start thinking, careful, <laughs> be careful. Don't say anything wrong. Why is this difficult? Why is it hard to talk about these things? It's hard to talk about them, not because they're difficult things. This is just joyful and beautiful. The problem is that just after this, sin comes into the world and breaks all of it. All of it is then broken in sin. And so even in chapter 3, you're going to read in chapter 3, verse 16, uh, you see that when sin comes into the world, the relationship between Adam and Eve is, and God, the relationship between the people and God is broken. The relationship with God's broken. But likewise, you see also their, create, their relationship with the world is broken. Uh, it says, you know, you used to work the land and it would just produce all kinds of fruit. Now you're going to work the land and it's going to be hard. And there's going to be thorns and thistles, and I might add mosquitoes, that are going to come out of all of this, the consequence of sin. But even more so, the relationship between the man and the woman is also broken. Now, Trevor's going to be preaching this passage for us next Sunday, so I don't want to take too much of it, but it's hard for us to apply any of this without talking about sin because it's the condition that we're in. And so, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God says that one of the results, the consequences of sin entering the world, is that now the relationship between the man and the woman is going to be broken. It says she, her desire is going to be for him, but he will rule over her. This idea that they were supposed to be partners, uh, corresponding partners, complementary partners, working together as a team to do this, uh, to have been good, and yet now it will be competitive. It will be broken. It will be her desire to lord it over him and his desire to rule over her. And this is the situation we're in, this broken relationship in the world. But marriage endures even so as a grace and blessing from God even before the fall. As I said to you, this is a romantic comedy. This is a happy story, and I'm here to tell you that marriage is a great blessing from God. Uh, it's a joy to get to be married. I'm having a great time, you know? Uh, if this is the calling of God for your life, then you'll be having a great time too. It's just to recognize that when we go to be married, what we're marrying is a sinner, but what we are is a sinner. And the necessary component for a healthy, joyful marriage is going to be a life transformed by Christ will have to have been being made new. 
in order to do this right. We'll have to be the sort of people who live by grace constantly and continuously. This means, for those of you who will be married someday, God bless you. This is a great joy. And yet, you yourself need to be in Christ. And you yourself need to find someone who is in Christ uh, to be united with. We get to ask another interesting question about this passage. This passage, we get to ask, well, what did Jesus say about it? As it turns out, Jesus himself talks about this passage specifically in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 19, some of the religious leaders and some of his followers are all there asking him about divorce. And here's what Jesus says about marriage and divorce. And he goes back and he quotes this exact same passage. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Jesus says, haven't you read? And we have just read. He says, haven't you read? He replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers to send her away? And he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like this from the beginning. Rather, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, well, if the relationship of a man and his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. And he responded, not everyone can accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made that way by men. And there are eunuchs who have been made themselves that way for the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept this should accept this. Jesus takes this passage and explains to them what marriage is supposed to be from the beginning. They come and ask and say, why does the law of Moses have all of these exceptions and certificates of divorce and ways in which you can break it off, but in a... Uh, somewhat reasonable way without it being completely devastating. And Jesus says, the problem's not the law and the problem's not the blessings from God. The problem is you. He says, the problem is this, it wasn't a command that you should do this. It was permitted by Moses because of the hardness of our hearts. But it was not that way from the beginning. This passage is fascinating because it gives us a whole understanding of the law of Moses. There are things in there that are hard to understand, but a part of the way we're supposed to understand them is there as a halfway measure to make things better than what it was, but to still recognize that the reason why some of them don't tell us to be perfect as God is perfect is because of the hardness of our hearts. And the aim for us as Christians is not to have done something legal or lawful, it's to have done right by God and to live as it was without sin. We come to these hard passages, and sometimes they're difficult for us. This is actually difficult passage number two, if you've been keeping up this week. Uh, this past Wednesday night at the uh, pastor's Bible study, we meet in here at 6 p.m., and we read through Scripture together and just discuss it. And uh, for the 30 or so people that were here this past Wednesday night, uh, we were talking in Romans chapter 13 about how you have to, Paul tells us in Romans 13, that you need to submit to government. Uh, and uh, let government rule you rightly. And we talked about submitting to government, and we also ended up talking about whether or not it was okay for Christians to carry firearms. 
which is a bit of a hot potato, you know, <laughs> I'd say. Fortunately, nobody whipped out their firearms while we were having this good biblical discussion on Wednesday night. But there are these passages like that one and like this one that you come to, and they're a little difficult. We Christians recognize that the problem is not the passage. The problem is the hardness of our hearts. The reason why these are difficult is not because this isn't the Word of God. The reason it's difficult is because some parts of us don't want to hear the Word of God rightly or be told that we're wrong. But it was not this way from the beginning, is what he says. And we've already seen that everything that comes from God is a blessing. All commands that come from God is a blessing. And so this is a blessing as well. The goal here is not to beat you up for whatever's in your past. We have plenty of members of our church who have divorce and remarriage in their past. And the goal here uh, is not to make you feel guilty for something that has happened before. Rather, what we do as a congregation is recognize the grace of God for everything in our pasts. The goal is to steer you properly from this point forward, that the covenant you're in, you should remain in until the very end, because what God joins together, no one should separate. This sounds like a hard teaching, and if you find this to be a hard teaching, then you're on par, then you know you're getting it right. Because the disciples also say, man, that's a hard teaching. And so that's how you know you're, you're understanding it correctly. His disciples say to him, if a relationship between a man and a wife is like this, it's better not to marry. And what does Jesus do? Does he, he softens his words. He says, well, I tell you what, we'll give you some caveats. He says, no, there are plenty of reasons why you wouldn't marry at all. And that's okay. Jesus doesn't change his teaching at all. He continues to offer it to them as the blessing that it is. But then something unique happens in world religions. Christ teaches that it is okay to live your best, most full life in Jesus Christ, not married. It's all right to do that. That while marriage is this blessing that is given, there are other blessings that are given as well. He says some people will not get married for these three categories. The word he uses is eunuch, and for our purposes, this simply means unable to function in marriage for one reason or another, unable for it to work out well for a man and a wife. And the first reason, he says, is some people, simply marriage isn't going to work out for them because of the way they were born. Uh, they were born under unique circumstances or in a unique way. And so marriage isn't going to happen for them, and that's okay. It doesn't make you less of a person or wrong. It's simply acceptable to Christ, and you can still be acceptable to Christ. He loves you dearly and has good plan for you. It's all right to live your most full life in Christ not being married. And then there's another category. So some people were born with an, an inability of one reason or another, one way or another, to not function in marriage. He says, and this one far more sinister, and some people were made unable to function in marriage by the evil acts of other people. You understand? Uh, plenty of people have been abused in such a way as to not be able to function well in marriage, and this is grievous. But hey, listen, if this is you today, you need to know that God loves you dearly. Christ can bring healing for any hurt in your life, and God will give you justice for what was done against you. You can also live in Christ the rest of your life, a full, complete, joyful, holy life. 
in singleness. There's this other category here as well. Those who are born this way, those who had something done to them. And then there are those who simply choose because of their calling or because this is the calling of God for them, that they'll be single in their life for the sake of the kingdom of God. And this is acceptable for any Christian who follows God. And understand, Christianity for us, it means that marriage is a great blessing from God, and it is. But also, it's acceptable to not be married for one reason or another. If you, at any age, at any phase of life, find yourself not married for any reason today, You're not a second-class citizen to Christ. You are dearly beloved by Him, and He has good plan for you, and God bless you. Now, as for those who are married or who will be married, you need to understand, again, we're going back to it. For all this hard talk we have today, this is still a romantic comedy, I'm declaring it to be. This is still a joyful institution and a blessing from God. It's delightful. Marriage is not something to be endured something to relish and to enjoy. Uh, I always, whenever talking about marriage, there's an old Jeff Foxworthy joke that I think is fantastic. He says, so I was talking to my grandfather once, and uh, he and my grandmother had been married for 60 years. He said, I was on their 60th anniversary party, and I was saying to him, man, granddad, 60 years. How did you guys pull that off? That's a long time to be married to another person. What's your secret to staying married for 60 years? And his grandfather said, it's easy. I didn't leave and I didn't die. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. It's possible that your marriage endures simply by I didn't leave and I didn't die. But that's not the blessing from God. These two are made to lift each other up, edify each other, encourage each other, live their lives for each other. They're there to be a complement of one another. They're there to be in partnership with one another, to fulfill callings together, to worship the Lord, and to encourage each other. It may be for you today that your marriage has become something to endure, but it doesn't have to be anymore. Come and be in Christ. Come and make a decision for repentance today to say, just even by yourself, you know what, for now on, This won't be something to endure. This will be something where I give the whole of myself to lift up, to encourage, to build up, to support, to respect, to cherish, to see grow this spouse of mine. Let marriage be an act of worship that it was made to be. And in this, you'll find the real blessing of God for your life. What does this passage say to us about who God is? Well, this God is a God who gives us purpose. This God is a God who blesses us. This God is a God who blesses us with commandments, knowing that structure, order, clarity are a blessing from Him. And when we receive the command of God, we say thank you for the gift of telling us the right way to go. Who is this God? This is a God who gives us dominion over the world to say, look at it, survey it, go climb on some hills and mountains, see it all and rejoice. And this is a God who has wisdom and provision for us before we even know that we need it. 
He is not just a God who gives out blessings. He is a God who desires to give out blessings. He is a God who has them for us even before we go to ask for them. He is the God who even before you and I were born already himself came down, took on flesh to die on the cross for us even before we were born. He made payment for all the sins we would ever commit. So that when we go to God now, if you're in Christ, there's no more punishment coming to you for all the things you've done wrong. All of that punishment, all of that wrath, all of that debt has already been paid for completely and wholly by Jesus Christ our Lord. When Christ returns and judges the world, the living and the dead, we will face that judgment. But the judgment we'll receive if we're in Christ is that our sins have been forgiven. Christ took our place in wearing our sins so that we could wear his righteousness before the throne of God. We are already forgiven even today because the sacrifice has already been paid for us. There is no more wrath left in Christ Jesus for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come and be in Christ today. We have it by the simple act of repent, turn away from what evil is in your life. You know what sin is in your life. Turn from it today and believe and Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and find the salvation that you need. We live lives ashamed of our sin, but it was not this way from the beginning. You see, way back here, they were unashamed. They had nothing to be ashamed of. Even after sin, though, God is providing for them. Once they sin and they realize that they have something to be ashamed of, God himself makes them clothes and puts them on them to cover their shame. We were sinners. We live in it. But there's a way to be unashamed in life even now. And it goes like this. God says, though you are as crimson, I have washed you white as snow. Though it is like we are walking around wearing our sins on our sleeves, stained by them, he washes us clean and forgives us of them. Come and let us live lives unashamed in Jesus Christ. Let us enjoy the blessings of God, marriage, singleness, His commands, His creation, all of it from Him, for Him, for us. Let us rejoice that Jesus Christ is Lord and from Him all blessings come. Father God, I thank You that You created us rightly. And I thank You that even though we're broken sinners, You've already made a way for us to begin being restored and being made right. Father God, give us the strength to turn away from our sins. Help us to believe that you are as good as you say you are. Give us your spirit to give us the strength to live good, righteous lives before you. And this I pray in your name. Amen.